So reading from Revelations chapter 1, starting at verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write in a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of a rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive for ever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the golden, seven golden lampstands, is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Staying healthy is important to us at the best of times. But the coronavirus has made staying healthy more important to us than ever before. Crises do that, and health scares do that. Now, to help us stay healthy, the authorities have given us guidelines, uh, simple things like wash your hands, don't touch your face. These are all things that help to keep us in good health. But they also give us some serious things like shielding, self-isolation, and repeated warnings like stay home, stay safe, save lives. These warnings remind us that we actually can't take good health for granted. If we care about our own health, we'll adhere to these guidelines. Uh, if we don't, the simple fact is we'll increase the likelihood of getting sick. At the same time though, even our adherence is no guarantee of good health because there's still a risk from outside of us, from careless people who are alone to themselves, who don't follow the guidelines given by the authorities. We see famous ones uh, named and shamed of course in the newspapers but there, and the everyday folk might well just get a glare on the lockdown walk. Now, why am I talking about health and the impact of our behaviour and other people's behaviour on it? Here's why. Because I can't stop thinking about the health of local churches. Jesus wants his churches to be healthy. And Jesus publishes his own guidelines to keep us healthy. It's called the Word of God. And Jesus issues warnings that we, so that we won't take good health for granted, noting that if a church becomes unhealthy, 
we could put that down to simple things like, well, non-compliance with biblical instruction or even pressurising behaviour from those outside of us who are alone to themselves or perhaps both. Now, these are the things that affect the health and vitality of churches, the churches that Jesus wants to speak to in Revelation 1-3. to Some are just downright non-compliant, Others are affected by the pressurising behaviour of others outside of them. But in Revelation 1-3, to Jesus speaks with sovereign authority, giving both careless churches, if I may, a kick up the backside, and struggling churches, at the very same time, a helping hand. Now before we dive in, let me ask you, how important is the spiritual health of Charlotte Chapel to you. I hope it is important. <laughs> I, hope the, I hope the health of our church family is an important thing to us. The health of our church family, of course, ought to be more important to us today than ever before because of the impact of this lockdown. You see, we're prevented from doing many of the things that the Bible says a church should do just to stay healthy. For example, we can't gather together to hear God's word preached. This is a very poor substitute. We can't gather together to celebrate the gospel as we would often do uh, in the ordinances that Jesus gave us, in baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, we shouldn't be doing those things. These are church based things and we should long for the day when we can. Now of course we're making the best of this bad situation. Phone calls and Zoom meetings do something to keep us going and encourage us as a church family but it's just not the same. It's just not church. It's definitely not Charlotte Chapel. Now my concern is that we are perhaps more vulnerable than we realise to ill health during these times, more susceptible perhaps to content ourselves with something less than what Jesus desires for his churches and slowly perhaps, maybe without even noticing, see our health depreciate, spiritually speaking. What we need is a fresh reminder from our head, the head of uh, Jesus, the head Jesus Christ who speaks to his churches and that's what we get in Revelation 1-3. to Two weeks ago, we asked the question, who is God? We saw he's Father, Son and Holy Spirit, pastorally concerned for his church. Last week, we, uh, we asked, what did John see when he looked at Jesus? And he saw Christ in terrifying and tender glory. In this sermon, we're asking, what did John hear Jesus say? And I've got two points for us to work through. And the first is this. When John hears Jesus speak, Jesus says first, I'm alive forever. That's what we see in verses 17 to 18. And to drive this point home, he, he says it and he underscores it twice. The first thing he says is I'm eternal. That's what we see in verse 17c when he says, I am the first and the last. Now, when we think of first and last, we often think of races, don't we? 
Uh, but Jesus isn't claiming to be the only runner in a race, that's why he's first and last, or even an inconsistent runner. But, so what is he talking about? Well, the answer to that is found in a couple of Old Testament passages. Uh, for And three of them in particular in the book of Isaiah. Uh, this is a phrase that God takes for himself to describe his eternality, his foreverness, uh, his no beginning and no endness. Um, in Isaiah 44, verse 6, just to give you an example, um, in amongst tucked in amongst all the attributes that God claims for himself is this one, that I am the first and the last. You find something similar in Psalm 90. Uh, but this time, it's Moses who's speaking, who recognises the eternal nature of God. And he says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. These passages tell us, in simple terms, that God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. There's never a time when he has not been. Neither will there ever be. And that's what Jesus wants his church to know about him. That he's eternal. That he doesn't have it in himself to go in and out of existence. Uh, it's as if he says, uh, I started all this and I'm, I'll end all this. And in between, I'm directing all this. And nothing's going to change that. Now, that'll encourage a struggling church, won't it? That'll encourage us to patiently endure this lockdown, won't it? And that's, that'll also uh, warn the compromised church too, that his reign is as long-standing as his life. Well, when Jesus speaks, he says, I'm eternal. But verse 18 continues with him underscoring this, saying, I'm resurrected. Look with me, verse 18. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. Now what is Jesus doing here? He's drawing attention to his death and resurrection. And we might ask why. Why remind us in here that he died? Well, uh, it could be to remind us that he suffered and that he sympathises with those who do. That's very true and that's very comforting. It could be to remind us that he died for our sins and forgives those who believe. That's definitely true. And we remember that often. But I don't think that's the point of referencing his death in here. I don't think it's either of those. They're true, of course. But here, Jesus almost uses his death as a picture frame just to display his resurrection. You see, the context of this verse puts the spotlight on his resurrection. Here, he tells you that he died to make it obvious that he didn't stay dead, that he's alive and that nothing is going to change that. And that's why he encourages John to take a second look. Now look, he says, in the older versions, it would have said, Behold, look again at my glory, John. Do I look like I can die? Do I look like I can be defeated? 
Death threw everything at me and look at me. Do you know anyone who could take me down? No, it is as Jesus says, I am alive forevermore. Now he not only draws attention uh, to his death and his resurrection, he also draws attention to something jangling in his hand. You see verse 18 again? And I hold the keys of death and Hades. What's Hades? Hades is the place of the dead in Jewish thought. And the gates of Hades that Jesus himself once spoke of were viewed by Jews as powerful and impregnable. In other words, no one who ends up behind those gates ever gets out. And no one who is beyond those gates ever comes back, ever becomes alive again. In other words, there's something about Hades and its gates that make death utterly secure. Secure, okay? Until, that is, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came into the world as a man to save sinners who were under the penalty of death. So he came, he thought about Hades, he thought about those gates that were in his mind as he talked about it. But he refused to allow those gates to stop him from rescuing his church, the people he has loved before the foundation of the world. He refused to allow those gates to stop him from rescuing them from death. What was his plan? To open the doors from the inside. To get in by dying. To get out by rising. And to grab the keys that leave the door unlocked for all who would follow him in faith as he rose, as he left. Now, I can hardly think of anything I'd rather recall in my final moments than that. Or in times when we're being called to question our own mortality than that. Death will take none and keep none that Jesus calls his own. And how heartening that is for these churches in Revelation and throughout the ages that face persecution and hardship of many kinds. Now, what difference does it make then during lockdown for us to know that Jesus is alive forever? It's not just a theological fact, something to believe. It has pastoral practical applications. But I guess it depends, our answer depends on whether we're faithfully enduring it in the hope that it will end soon or actually not that bothered by the church that we miss it so much. I guess the one, to the one who longs to gather again and do what God tells the church to do, it definitely brings reassurance and it definitely brings strength for each day. So we should give thanks for this. But to the one who doesn't miss the church family that much or see what all the fuss is about. It offers a warning. It says, you have not yet grasped how central the local church is in God's plans, how, how, with how much affection he holds it and how vital the local church is to the health and the vitality and the durability of your faith. If that's you, please get in touch. And if you're not a member, become one. 
Well, Jesus says, first of all, as he speaks to John and his churches, I'm alive forever, first thing. Second thing, Jesus says, I care for my church. And two things in verses 19 and 20 demonstrate that for us. Firstly, the fact that Jesus wants to inform his church about what's happening. He cares enough to communicate with them. He's not happy to leave his churches in the dark. What then is he communicating through John? Well, it's the entire experience and the vision of Revelation. Taken together with uh, verse 11, Jesus, for the second time, gives John this vital job. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. Now it's not hard to see why he'd want to either. Uh, two things are crystal clear in here. First of all, Jesus wants no surprises for his church. He wants to prepare them. No one who loves God's word, no one who's, uh, and no church whose pastors are committed to teaching God's words uh, will ever find themselves in persecution or hardship or even a pandemic and say, why was I not told about this? I just didn't know that life would be like this. I thought it would be becoming a Christian that life would just ascend to some higher plane and we'd be protected from all these different things. Well, no. Jesus tells us in plain and simple terms throughout the book of Revelation what life will be like for his churches no matter what century they're in. You see, the scope of this vision covers all times until he comes back from today to the very end of all things. And Christ's aim is to prepare his people for what's to come so that they can brace themselves for hard times and look forward to the best of times. But he doesn't just want to communicate with them and keep them informed, he wants to warn he wants to communicate them and warn the unhealthy churches too. You see, John's commission sounds a lot like, when you read it, the kind of commission that God gave to Old Testament prophets. And when God gets down to business and says things like, write down what you see, it usually means that what's going to follow contains a, 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 a healthy amount of judgment and it usually involves a pretty serious audit of his people. So he cares enough about his church to do that. And that's exactly what we're going to see in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Some of the churches are doing well. Quite a lot of the churches are not doing that well. Some are getting mixed reports. Well, he cares enough to do an audit of his people and to communicate with them, to say to them, this is what the church, a healthy church should look like. This is what a healthy church should do. And if we read these things and find that we're out of step, then correction is what's important. Correction is what's needed. Well, he cares enough to inform his church, but secondly, he cares enough to help his church and two things demonstrate that to us the fact first of all 
that he commands his angels to help his churches. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, angels are simply God's messengers. Uh, that's what the name angel means. But it sounds weird to naturalistic minds, but there is a spiritual realm and revelation draws back the curtain on it. This life is not all there is. And what we're told in here is that angels are a part of creation and used by God for important task, uh, tasks that serve his purposes in this world. They help Christ's churches. They report to him. Now, secondly, he's personally present with his churches. We've seen this before. He walks among the lampstands. Well, that is comforting for those churches who are healthy. Not so comfortable for those who are not. And I guess it's somewhere in between for those who are in between. Doing okay in some ways and doing badly in others. Jesus knows his churches. He knows them inside out. He leaves them in no doubt as to what's required of them. He gives them his instruction and he sends protection for them. Now in the coming weeks, we're gonna examine these churches, the seven churches that we find in here. And uh, as we do that, we'll find that we'll be examined too. As I said, we'll find everything from faithful churches to compromised churches, from churches that make Jesus happy to churches that make Jesus sick. And each one turns the mirror on us. For now though, it's enough just to ponder the fact that Jesus is alive forever and Jesus cares for his churches. And to let that motivate us to perseverance or to repentance depending on whether we're healthy or unhealthy as a church and members of it. So let me leave you with some application points. In these days, as we seek to maintain good health, pray for each other. Pray for the church as a whole. Doesn't the Lord's Prayer encourage us to do that? So often our prayers are so um, single-mindedly introspective. But when Jesus gets us to pray, our Father, and forgive us our sins, deliver us from evil, he's turning our perspective and our attention away from ourselves to draw in others. Pray for each other. Take your church app or the, a printed directory, people that you know and love from our church family, and pray through each by name. That will serve the health of our church well in a time of lockdown. Talk to each other. Remind each other that Jesus is alive forever and that Jesus cares for his churches. And do it practically. Phone not just friends you know well, but those you don't as well. Talk and pray with folks about the things that matter. Find out how things are going in life. You can join a growth group. It's been wonderful to see groups. Uh, using Zoom meetings uh, weekly for Bible study, for prayer and catching up. There are timeout groups, there's yak groups for students and young people as well. 
Listen, the longer lockdown goes on, the more fed up we're likely to get. But being a part of a group like this and making it a priority to get on those calls is vital to our health. Can I say, if you're not yet a member, then join the church. Membership matters to us in Charlotte Chapel. Through membership, you say, I'm here, look after me. And through membership, we get to affirm one another's faith and partner together in the gospel, in sharing it and in applying it to each other, maintaining our good health as a church. And if you're not yet a Christian, look to Jesus. He came in love on a rescue mission for unhealthy, sin-sick sinners like you and me. And he died and rose again to save us. And he reigns forever in glory where everyone and everything marvel at his wounds and glory in his reign. You will, the Bible says, meet him one day. The Bible encourages you though to see that it will either be as a judge or as a friend. Which would it be for you? Look at who he is in this chapter in Revelation. Consider what he's done. He died, he rose, he rescued, he redeemed, he loves. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved.